0: Hello everybody, and welcome back to Mentors. Right now, we're continuing our interview with Kim Bilyeu, and last we left off, we were talking about how when babies take their first steps and fall, they're celebrated and not shamed. Not only do we learn by trying and making mistakes, but Kim connects this with the idea that she used to be the black sheep of her family, never leaving the narrow road that she originally put herself on, never wanting to learn how to walk. Again, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist the Foo Fighters reference. (laughs) But in the process of building the new Kim, she learned from a great many books and references them here in this show. And if you would like a list of them all, there's a free resource article titled Kim's Possible Book List. I know, I'm just full of references today. Uh, That's down in the bio link below. Uh, Let's jump back into the interview. I think that's incredible. Like, they're there was there was so much there was so much i was looking at what you said you know when you started out when you were in college just finding the benefit of college being on your own is something that i've been experiencing and something that you know my peers this audience has been experiencing whether they're in high school or college you know going through hard high school times learning everything is different in college seeing the world losing that naivety in a sense um and, you know, you, you were thrown into cultures that you've never experienced before because you stuck with one thing, but you were really good at it. And, you know, you continued and you grew and you failed and you learned and you had to realize that it was your fault. Like, honestly, I would think that half the people when you were telling your story about, you know, making Dawn cry, I think half the people, if they were in that story, they would say, well, she's weak. She's weak and it's her fault. You took the time to realize that it might be you. And you grew from that. And, you know, uh, and and it's fascinating because you were talking about creativity and making things fun, you know, and then using the word corporate within the word fun, which is, you know, insane to me. (laughs) And, and, you know, you, you know, you've grown the success and you've taught people, uh, you know, amazing things. and, And throughout your experience of becoming a leader, you have learned to be authentic as well. And, you know, and vulnerable, but not in the sense of, you know, I talked about this a little bit with Dave Barron, asking him the difference between vulnerability and having a, you know, a very mushy environment where everyone's crying. Um, We have a vulnerable environment. People can come and they can fail and it's okay because you learn together. Uh, You know, and similarly, you know, everyone can be authentic, which is, you know, they're two very separate things. And there's just, there's so much to unpack in everything you said. And I'm very, very grateful for it because, oh my goodness, you know, I but something I was I I think a a lot of the root that comes to it, you know, is teaching to be a great leader. You have to show someone a different way and to show someone a different way. You have to get them curious in it and you have to get them interested in it. Um, And like you said, it needs to be relevant, um, you know, but it also needs to be it needs to be fun. And in all honesty, when you were talking about making it fun for adults, I was really curious about that because every experience that I've had where people try to make it fun, um, especially for like younger adults or, mm-hmm. or adults, you're like, oh, you know, it turns out to be quote unquote lame. Like, oh, it's really lame. Like, I don't want to do this. Like you're trying to make it fun, but it's making me embarrassed or it's making me scared. I don't want to do it. So like, you know, genuinely, how do you, how do you light up your people? How do you you know, make it fun for adults to, to learn and grow in something they've never done before.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I did it wrong a lot uh, before I found things that actually work. And so that was one of the, the great parts about being at Quest because we did we were hiring so many people that had a lot of opportunities to try different things and fail a lot uh, really fast because we did a, a new hire orientation. This is where I really learned the value of failure. We did a new hire orientation every single week and you would have people in there who were coming in new to the plant and then you'd also have um, new executives. So everybody from VPs to your line operator in this new hire orientation that I was leading. And we were focused on trying to build company culture. That was what the new hire orientation was about. It was a one day experience. I had them for about seven hours and I needed to teach them the essence of Quest. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and it was in person, which was an advantage to get to play with new ideas because you can change up your um, experiences in a, an in-person training much faster than you can if you have to create some sort of online experience because those just take time to create and then program and all of that. So had the opportunity to do this in person and realized that um, what we all enjoy is interaction. And, and that universally that is something that is true. And so we found ways to create interaction and we also found ways that didn't, that seemed like they would. Uh, and, and that the, you know, forcing interaction where it felt inauthentic was anathema. It, did, it just doesn't work. It creates, ba- it creates these walls that people put up because they weren't ready. So the first thing I learned is you have to create an environment where people want to enter in together. And so we figured out ways to do that. And some of it was, let's start with sharing things that are simple. So I have my kind of go-to question in an icebreaker is, what's your favorite toothpaste? And people always look at me funny when we start the conversation. But it is amazing when you ask people a question that seems inconsequential, how much they will reveal about themselves. Hmm. So I've had everything from... Well, I never do the shopping. My wife buys all of the sundry items that we need. And so I just use whatever's in the drawer. Okay, so now that tells me about the division of power at home. It also tells me you're married. So now I can ask questions about, well, tell me more about your family. Family seems important to you or, you know, so you get all of this window into who they are simply by asking an easy question. One where nobody feels like they have to put up a wall because you're asking them something super deep, you know, or I'll give people the option. Uh, do you want to tell us about your favorite vacation? Or do you want to tell us about your favorite toothpaste? I literally asked those two questions in a training I just did. And 90% of the people chose toothpaste. And I learned far more about the people who answered about their toothpaste than I did about the people who answered about their vacation.
0: That's and funny. I told them that
1: at the end, I said, this was a little social experiment. Let's talk about what we learned as people shared about their toothpaste. Cause there was without question, these were all people who knew each other. I was the newbie. So I walked into a group that actually has history together. And I said, how many of you learned something you didn't know about the other people in the room? And they all raised their hand. I said, this is the value of asking easy questions because it makes people feel like I now have control over what I choose to share. And so it's simple things like that, that when we start talking about engagement, you have to create a space that is safe. And that means being honest, Like this is, here's where we are. This is what we're trying to do. And then you have to tell people, where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish today? So give them a roadmap because nothing is less comfortable than having no idea what you're going to be doing while you're all together, especially on your first day of employment. So we said, okay, we need to tell you, here's what we're going to be doing. There will be no tests. This is just designed to introduce you to who we are, what we're about and the quest story. So here we go, this is, we're going to have some fun. And then to give them places where they can choose, again, choose what level of interaction they choose to put in, but create fun. So we created games. So one of the games we created was Taboo. Now you might have heard of the game Taboo before we used the name, but we did not use the, any of their cards. We made our own cards for Taboo and they all had to do with our quest um, philosophy, Mm. And so we introduced them to the philosophy and we said, here are the 25 statements that we have in our quest philosophy. Now we're going to play a game and you have to talk each other through what these are and you can't use any of the words that will actually help you. Good luck. It'll be fun. But it created this sense of competition, which everyone enjoyed, but also because there were prizes at the end, candy, um, quest candy, of course, Mm -hmm. because so we had to be healthy. Uh, And so you got this prize, which was, Deeply meaningful, clearly, and you got to have fun because inevitably somebody will say something crazy, and it becomes the thing that two years later you're still talking about. Oh, remember in our new hire uh, when they you, we were playing taboo and you said that silly thing? Oh yeah, totally I remember that, and you still have that connection. Mm. Help people learn, um, but then we we really struggled. We had one interaction that we we really wanted people to get a bit deeper, so we were kind of funneling them to this one interaction, and we failed. Uh, and by we, I, I mostly mean me, eight weeks in a row, um, which that was fun. So eight different tries at, at a game that would allow people to take it from I know the 25 statements of the Quest belief system to I understand. And now I'm starting to figure out how I, how I already am living into this reality, it's this idea that I already have a sense of belonging to Quest, even though this is day one for me. And we, I tried so many things and they were just all horrendous failures. And then we tried a board game. And so what if we set up a board game? And so we actually, we created like cards and it was super fun. And we did it all by hand first because we were like, we're not spending money on this until we know if it works. Because again, eight in a row failures. And so we created this, this game and we started playing it and people loved it. And they were going deep deep into why they wanted to work at Quest, what it was about, <coughs> oh, sorry. Oh, good, you're good, no worries. People don't normally let me talk this much. <coughs> I'm curious,
0: I'm listening, I'm, I'm listening very much. We're active listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can see you, so I know you are. <laughs> So, yeah, so they they started playing this game, and, and that ended up being the game that, that we used for the rest of the time that I was there, so for the next year and a half. And it was so much fun to watch people interact with this game. And then the good thing was at Quest, we had an art department, so we made a proper board game, wow. and we called it On, On a Quest, <clears throat> and such fun, and gave people an opportunity. And so it was one of those things that like, they continued to talk about over the course of their time. Oh, remember the game, that was so much fun. And I, even after I left Quest, I actually kept the versions because they weren't using it um, after, because they just weren't doing as much hiring. And so I've, I actually have two of the boards uh, here that I have shown to my current team, like, hey, this is the kind of stuff when we think about being different, think about different approaches to education. These are the kinds of things I want you to think about. And then one of the other things I did, I actually took them to Disney. Um, yes. So I, I live in California, in Southern California, and I work um, about 12 miles from Disneyland. And I'm an annual pass holder because there, in my mind, is no place more fun to be than Disneyland. And when I I had an opportunity to hire essentially my entire team all at the same time, wow. and, and that was an incredible, as a leader, that's your dream, to get to hire your own team. Like, it is amazing. And so I had the opportunity to do that. And it was such fun. And so one of the first things I did, and I told my boss, I said, I need to create team because team is the number one most important thing for me. I want these people to know they belong and that they, they know each other and they have each other's back. And so I brought them all, they're scattered all over the country and I brought them all to Irvine, California. And one of the days that we were together, we went to Disneyland. And we didn't just like go and ride rides, we did do some of that, but we actually went with a purpose. So our purpose was to learn about intentionality and approach and in how how we can create immersive learning. And so we used some of the Disney rides and I interacted with some of the Disney Institute folks. And so we had opportunities to talk with them and some of the cast members about how Disney does what they do because what they do is exceptional and generationally they have been able to create some of the best trained entry level staff in the world. They've done it for over 50 years and to have that sort of longevity Mm -hmm. and continue to be rated one of the top companies in the world for your customer service is amazing. And I told my team, I said that we need to learn from how they do this, not just that Disney's fun. Oh, it is. Don't get me wrong. I've had rides all day long. Oh, why went with you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Disney is fun. And I'll, I'll give you all the details about Disney. Like, it, it is, It is superbly done and I love being there. But at the same time, when I do Disney, I think about it from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about their intentionality the things like they actually when they built disneyland walt disney commissioned a study to find out how far people will carry trash before they just drop it on the ground the study showed 30 feet roughly so it's about every 30 feet you'll find a garbage can in disneyland to keep people from dropping trash on the ground and then things like all of the sidewalks all the corners are rounded there's no right angles because then people are less likely to trip and fall That sort of intentional approach is what we want to be able to do in in the way that we train. Want to make sure that we're thinking about all the details, not just the big ones, not just the most important things, not just about making sure we have the right information in there, but that we're conveying the information in the right way. And and that's something that my team, most of them still are part of my team. in fact, I've changed roles and now I've hired two of the people I hired before. I've now hired them a second time. Um, Into my new role because they are exceptional and I like to work with people I know I can trust. And so, again, teamwork makes the most sense. So, I always tell people there are no bonus points for doing something by yourself. So, if you come to me and you're like, I worked 14 hours on this by myself, no one helped me, my response will be, Why? Mm -hmm. Why? Why did you do it by yourself? Why did you work 14 hours? Why? And unless there's a really compelling reason, like everyone else was abducted and wasn't available, uh, I'm going to tell you, you actually are going to not get any bonus points for that. I'm I'm actually probably going to dock you points if we're keeping score Mm. because there's no reason to make life hard. And life, when you do it with other people, is messier, but it's easier. And do you have the guts to do that? And that's the challenge that I put to my team. And that's again, that's why we read books together, because as we've read these books, which when we started, my team thought I was absolutely crazy and they sort of engaged with the books until they realized I was actually going to ask them questions about the books and that I was reading them along with them. I wasn't just like, well, back in the day when I read this book the first time, every book we are reading together, I've read at least five times. And I go back and I read it with them because I want to make sure I'm thinking about it currently in our situation so that we're focused on the things that really matter to us as a team. Mm-hmm. And now we have some of the most amazing discussions in our monthly book club. And it takes us months to read a book. We just did the outline for uh, Extreme Ownership, which we'll start talking about in March. This to take us four months. We're going to read the book in four months. So we're not setting any land speed records with our reading. But we don't read for speed, we read for depth. Because what I want is changed behaviors. What I want is for people to interact with the content. And so I asked them at the beginning of every book club meeting, how many of you have read the chapters that we are supposed to read this time? And inevitably there's somebody and there's never shame. It's just, you know, catch up, but know that, you know, you're going to have a window into what this is about. And so, I don't want you to not participate just because you haven't done the reading, but let other people give you the context first so that you can join in the conversation. But we want to make sure we all know if you've read or not. So it's never, I don't ask to shame people. I just ask so that they, everyone's is clear because sometimes you might think you understand what something's about, but you might not actually. And so to be aware of, Oh, you haven't actually read it yet. You're not giving me a take on what you've read. You're giving me now a take on what I've said, which again is fine but we want to make sure we're clear on where that's coming from.
0: Absolutely. And
1: and now most people are most of the time they get the reading done because they want to be able to participate in the conversation and and there's accountability for it. And Oh,
0: absolutely. Especially and everyone
1: has said, you know, I'm different, I've ch- changed because of these books. I'm like awesome. That's exactly what we're going for. And and it's been it's fun for me to see them grow. And to see myself grow in the way that we approach things and the depth of our relationships, because that to me is ultimately what matters. I wanna do good training. I wanna make sure people learn stuff. What we're doing in that space is incredible. And being able to have an impact now globally around the world with Johnson & Johnson and how people learn stuff and seeing the things that we've been doing in this small microcosm of the one company that I'm primarily responsible for and seeing what we're doing now catch the attention of the broader learning world at JJ is really cool because again, who doesn't like to be noticed? Maybe there's somebody, I am not that person. I, again, I love the sound of my own voice and I like being the center of attention when people see the good work that we're doing. And I'm able to say to my team, much like when things are going bad, I stand in front of them and I take the slings and arrows for them. When things are good, I'm pushing them out. I'm like, yes, these guys are amazing and they are fun to work with and they are Talent that has been hidden for far too long. No, you cannot steal them because that—that oh. that is what a leader is supposed to do. A leader is supposed to help other people be successful. And when we do that, and we do it right, it's powerful. So for me, I get giddy when I see my team succeeding. I'm like, yes, this is so cool. And I like we were talking about earlier. I I I, I check myself sometimes because I I think, am I just not engaging honestly am i really worried that these guys are better at things than i am and and i can honestly say no i'm not worried about it like i genuinely love that they are good at things i'm not good at and that they are going to potentially outshine me at some point because i want to hire people who are smarter than me because i think the mistake that most leaders well i'm going to say there is a difference between a leader Mm -hmm. and a manager or a boss A leader is somebody who wants the best for their people and is not intimidated by what they bring to the table and is genuinely interested in helping them be successful. A manager or a boss is interested in what is good for them, not for the people that they work with or who work for them. So as a leader, my job is to make sure I'm hiring the very best people, and I think most leaders or most bosses and managers, they have a tendency to hire people who aren't as pretty or as smart as they are. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm looking for the people who are smarter than me, the people who are good at the things I am not good at. I'm not trying to hire people who are like me. I already have me on the team. <laughs> I do not need another me. Yeah, the world doesn't need two me's, but definitely <laughs> not on my team because I—that's the part I get to play. And by surrounding myself with people who are good at the things I'm not good at, or bring just other skills to the table, now we have a full complement. And we are a force to be reckoned with because now we're not competing with each other, we're complementing each other. Hmm. And that's one of those turns of understanding that for me was a game changer. And, and that I, I started learning that when I read the book by David Novak called Taking People With You. And he really talks about how do you build a team? How do you intentionally build a team of people around yourself? And what does it mean? And how do you do it? What should you be looking for? And in order to get to that point, you have to know who you are, what you're good at, what your derailers are, what you should be working on, those things that you need to continue to build skill in. And then those places where you're already really good and you don't need duplication of those skills. And anytime I've hired somebody who's like me, we've butted heads because now we're trying to, we're jockeying for the same position. And now it's like, oh, now it is competition. And even though I'm not trying to compete, I'm still competing. And it just ends up with both of us hating what we're doing. Mm. And that usually is when I either I leave because it's better if I leave or I encourage and help them leave because we're not happy. And we spend way too much time at work to not enjoy what we do. No,
0: you create a, you create a wonderful environment for your team, and just hearing you speak, I can hear the influences of the books you read. Like I, I can hear the the vulnerability and the say, in the in you know the in the in the comfort that Simon Sinek provides. I can hear you know, the taking the arrows and taking the shots for your team when things go wrong from Jocko Willnick. And, um, you know, I can I can hear and I, I, I've I only listened to one of Brene Brown's TED Talks and I'm going to read her books. When we were at Disney and you told me to read Brene Brown, I took that seriously. <laughs> like, I'm going to be diving into her work very soon and uh, I can I can see the influence of Brene Brown. And um, I don't know if you've read Ryan Holiday. I just got done reading his Ego is the Enemy, but I can see mm-hmm. the humility. I can see the, you know, the grace um, in that and why it's important for a leader to be humble and to be, um, and to push their ego aside, and I, I think, I think it's phenomenal. Especially, you know, that you, you failed so often. I think that's so important for um, this audience to recognize is that you, you learned and you tested it because you went through it, and you know it works and you know it doesn't. Um, something really curious that I've been hearing throughout this is that, you know, you're a creative, you're, a, you're a visionary. You know, you are so separate. From um, the rest of what Johnson and Johnson looks like, you know, you're, I'm gonna bet that you know your team members are engineers, like you said, like they're engineers, they're nurses, they're STEM people. They think very differently. They have uh, very different backgrounds from you. And um, I know that culture is so important, especially, and you know, you you lead a global company. You know, you are in charge of thousands of people from around the world. How have you been able? To build a microculture, because I remember that's what you said that you built with uh, John Nushen. How did you build this microculture with people that think so differently from you? Was it mainly uh, the book club that helped? You know, what were some other factors that really um, molded everyone together to be the most efficient?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, it's definitely something I love to talk about. So it, it starts with being really clear about what matters to me as a leader and the kind of team that I'm trying to create. So when I'm hiring people, one of the things that I tell them is this is who I am, this is the culture I'm intentionally creating within this team. And within J&J, it is very different. In fact, um, now it has become, and I don't say this to say I'm the coolest ever because I don't think I am at all, but it now people actually want to work on my team. And when I started at J&J, no one, I, I, I actually posted for a position and no one applied. Mm. And now, almost three years later, when I post for a position, I will have 30 or 40 people apply for one position because the word is out that you wanna work with us and that we do cool stuff, that we have a good time doing it and that we've got each other's back. So I've been very intentional. And one of the things that I tell people is, look, I'm a very different leader than what you're used to at J&J. Talk to the team before you ever decide that this is something you might want to do talk to them and find out what it's actually like to work for me because I am the kind of person who some people love to work for and other people don't. Because if you want somebody who's going to micromanage you, who's going to tell you everything that you need to be doing and going to make you account for every minute of your day, I am not the person you want to work for. I'm not that person. I, I, I do not have the energy for that. So if that's what you need, don't try to get a job on my team mm-hmm. because you will be miserable. Because i am never going to be that for you in fact it's going to piss me off if i have to be that for you if i have to be all kinds of micromanaging you get cranky kim and then oh it's i'm not having fun you're not having fun and you're going to find a new job so let's not do that and i'm really honest about that i also tell them my number one value is teamwork so if you don't value being part of a team and there are people who don't in fact i had i inherited Uh, three people. When I changed jobs, I I got a team of three and I didn't hire any of them. And one of them within about three days of me joining the team, I was very clear. I said, this is who I am. This is what I value. These are the things I'm going to expect of you. And he came to me and he said, I'm not that guy. I I am not going to be able to do the things that you want. I don't enjoy working as part of a team. I'm more of a lone wolf. I was a track star in college and that's his mentality. Like his thing is tennis and cars and he wants to do everything by himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then you should not work with, for me. You should not work with because I want to work with people. And, and so I'm always about being inclusive, drawing people in. And if you want to push people away, we're going to be at odds all the time. And I applaud him for having the strength and knowledge of himself to say, this is not going to work for me. And so I helped him, I helped him find a job where he could be totally successful staying in the company and making a move almost immediately. And he's loving it, he loves what he's doing now. And he's much happier and so am I. Because then I got to hire somebody who I had worked with before, who I knew was great, who I had to learn how to talk to because he is an engineer and I am not. Anyone who hasn't already figured that out, uh, you probably just started listening to the podcast because it's pretty clear. Uh, I'm not an engineer, and he is. And that's awesome because what I had to learn how to do was I had to learn how to listen. And I had to learn how to ask questions and be willing to answer them. Because one of the things engineers need is they need clarity. And it was something that uh, I, I knew but didn't really know how much clarity is important. And it was something you know hate to keep coming back to Brene brown but again truly stop listening go read her stuff come back we'll talk um but she has this saying in her book dare to lead that clarity is kindness Mm. i used to think that being kind of vague and wishy-washy was the nice thing like don't don't give hard feedback kind of couch it in nice speak Um, because then you don't hurt anyone's feelings. And what I realized is when I did that, people walked away thinking I I actually was pleased with their work. And I walked away annoyed with them because they were still thinking they were doing good work. And I clearly had told them that they were doing terrible work, but I actually hadn't because what I'd said was, well, kinda sorta sometimes you don't really say the right thing and it's a little bit off and maybe you could do it a little differently, possibly if you think about it next time, maybe. And everyone was confused. And so working with engineers, you can't do that. Because they need to know yes or no, good or bad. They're, they don't really do gray. And I love gray. I'm like chaos and change and moving and quick and fast and trying new things and failing. And yeah, this is so much fun. And they're like, oh, my God, stop. You have chaos. Stop. And And I had to learn how to listen to to them. And when we got to that place where I had crossed over from pushing them to the edge of what they were capable of to pushing them over the edge. And and I had to learn where that too far was. And they all have their own distinct cues that they give when we're getting too far. And I I had to learn how to listen. And one of the things that I found, and it isn't just true with engineers, I think it's really true with everyone is, you have. they have to know you're on their side, that you've got their back, that no matter what, you believe in them. And when we got to that point, then this guy who thinks as differently as I do, as is humanly possible to think, we are able to use a language that is by anybody's account shorthand. We know each other well. We trust one another. We work on myriad projects together and he is amazing but by nature if I just left it in his court we would have never gotten here if I just said it's your job as the employee to approach me the way I want to be approached he'd be working somewhere else because he would have just been miserable and he's too talented to be wasted Mm -hmm. so I think as the leader it's our job to stop and adjust to our employees and And adjusting when you're a creative to engineers is very challenging. But what I found to be helpful was, one, look for those commonalities. What are the places where we overlap? Where can we find that? And then making sure they knew, I will answer any question you ask. And I will keep answering until you have the clarity that you need. Or if I think now you're just being obstinate, I'm going to call you on that. Mm. I had one gentleman on my team initially who, that was his MO. If he didn't like the answer, he would just keep asking the same question. And I finally had to say, look, I've answered that question seven times, seven different ways, just because you don't like the answer, because I would ask him, okay, what don't you understand? Well, I just don't understand. Mm. I did that, but now I'm going to need some clarity. What don't you understand so that I can address that? I just don't understand, which was code for, I just don't like the answer. Yeah. And so then had to call him on that. Like that, that's not okay. Cause now you've upset the whole rest of the team because you don't like what we're trying to accomplish. Again, this might not be the place for you. And so being able to identify the difference between honest inquiry and obstinate behavior cues was really key and being able to create that space where everyone could come be who they are and then draw out the best in each other. And that starts with me as the leader, making sure that I'm doing that for each of them. And so, cause I set the tone. If I'm a jerk, they're gonna be jerks. It's the shadow of a leader is a real thing. Mm. So I try to lead with compassion. And, and I, I like to talk about being compassionately kind, because I think some people are like, I'm brutally honest. Um, anything that you describe brutal as the first word, I'm, I'm just gonna say, it's probably not working. Uh, I'm going to be compassionately honest or I'm going to be, you know, compassionately candid with you. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that I really like about um, the book creativity Inc written by Ed Catmull, who's was the um, president of Pixar and then became the president of Pixar and Disney animation. He wrote this incredible book that is really about his approach to leadership. And I think he's got so many things, right. And he actually talked about how they, they wanted to create a culture of honesty, but he said honesty has so much um, just garbage wrapped around it because there's all of this just angst about, oh, you're not being honest with me. So now it's got this emotional component to it. And so he said they, they started using the word candid. And I was like, you know, what? I actually really like that because it doesn't carry the emotional baggage that you often get with honest, even though they are essentially synonyms. And so that's what I talk about, I, I, I'm going to be candid, but I'm going to be compassionately candid. I'm not going to come to you and just be like, throw out all the, you know, I always tell people, don't tell me the seven things that I've done wrong. Tell me one thing and help me fix it. And then if there are six more, let's address those, but let's, can we take them one at a time?
0: Mm.
1: I want to have, I want to demonstrate compassion, but I'd also like to have it mirrored back to me. Uh, and and that's, that's what I ask of people. I'm like, don't tell me the seven reasons why I suck maybe come to me with, hey, Kim, I think there might be something you could work on. And I actually have seven, but let's start with one. (laughs) I can be receptive. I might not like it, but I can hear you because I get it. We all have things we need to work on. Yeah. That's phenomenal.
0: That's fun. And again, there's, there's so much there. There's so much there to, you know, to dig into and dive into. And Kim, I, you know, just you talking about, again, I just read a book of uh, over negotiation by, um, Chris Voss and wording is important and phrasing is important. Um, and just how, you know, how you approach your team, how you approach your microculture with this, again, like this auth- authenticity of this honesty is so crucial. And like you are speaking decades of wisdom about leadership and I could talk I could talk to you for hours I could but unfortunately we're running out of time you know where can everyone find you where can everyone find your work where can everyone I mean I feel like you have a
1: book list out there somewhere where can everyone find your book list <laughs> yeah uh I it's funny I actually have never published my book list um I should because people ask me for it all the time uh, so I will do that I also like to customize book lists based on what people are trying to go for because uh, I, don't, I don't think one size fits all is necessarily the answer. And I know there are a lot of people who are like, you must read, and there are, I think there are five must read books everyone, every human should have to read. Um, but beyond that, I really do like to customize um, book lists. So if somebody wants to have that conversation, you can find me, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm old, so you'll find me on Facebook. Uh, and then also LinkedIn. Um, You can find me and uh, Ava, I'll send you the links because I'm terrible about knowing exactly what my usernames are. (laughs) I'm not strong in that game, but uh, this this is one of those things where um, it's worth the effort to put some content out there. You'll see a lot of my philosophy around education and leadership mostly on LinkedIn. That's where I've definitely done the most writing. Uh, My team has been um, harassing is probably the right word, harassing me to write a book, about my approach to education and then a separate one to leadership. I tried to tell them I could write one book and they're like, remember how we talk about everything having one singular focus? I was like, dang it, <laughs> my own philosophy getting in my way. Writing scares me a little bit, uh, because it's very permanent. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it's definitely on the list of things. I'm also working on a TED talk right now. So around these same topics.
0: That's exciting. That's so exciting. Kim, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for being on.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love this, these topics, which is why we've talked for over an hour. And I feel like just, this was like intro level uh, things that I think about on a regular basis. So um, keep at it. I love what you're doing and have enjoyed interacting with your content as well. That, that was fun for me to do some research uh, before coming on. So thank you, and I will continue to do that. So if there's anything I can do for you, for your listeners, please let me know. It is how I'm wired. I, I love nothing more than to help people.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this interview series. I would love to know some of your best takeaways. You can find me easily on LinkedIn or Instagram just by searching Ava Wetrick, and I'll happily get back to you and have a conversation. If you really enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a rating in iTunes. That act will compound in ways that I can't even imagine. As you have just found a mentor here, go out into the world and see who you can be a mentor to today.